0: Yep. Now we are. All right. Okay. Welcome to Pop the Left. Um, I'm here with Kuba, who um, is going to talk to us about common mm-hmm. misunderstandings, misrepresentations, and um, maybe strategic mistakes mm-hmm. about the the Soviet handling of Poland, particularly. in two time periods. We're going to talk a lot about 1919, and maybe how that had like world historic effects, and then probably again. Uh, the the period from 1930. Uh, what is it? 39. When did the Soviets t- actually take Poland? 30. Uh, 39. 39. Yeah. So 39 through um um so the Solidarity through 89 through 89 the Solidarity movement was, um and why um. Because there are a lot of people who use that history to, and I've I never heard leftists say this, just say Poland is inherently reactionary, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, or that like Soviet policy in Poland was always justified, which seems wild. Um, and so I wanted to talk to you. Who, I mean, you're, this is kind of both for your personal interest and. Um, from your own family background, because I can't pronounce your name because it's Polish. Um, mm-hmm. I'm old country. Yeah, um, and you haven't cleaned your name up <laughs> like most of the poles I know, who just chop parts yeah. off. <laughs>
1: yeah, my uh, my sister, uh-huh. she's a lawyer and she works with uh, you know mostly Anglophone Canadians, people from all backgrounds, but English is the language. So she has a uh, phonetic pronunciation on her business cards underneath her name just to try to help them get over the the terror of the consonants. And um, keeping your last name is one of those things that you get to do if you come to Canada instead sort of the United States. And um, In Canada, the response when they see my unpronounceable last name is to uh, – apologize preemptively, um, in the United States, I get ridiculed for it, but, um, not from everyone, but enough so that I notice and remember, which is a Polish trade. We we remember, we keep grudges, um, so why don't, um, I can start by talking about the big picture history between Poland and Russia, and then, um, I'll fit my family into it and we can talk about Poland and the Soviet Union. Um, then, okay. So, so
0: big picture history,
1: big picture history. Um, the Poles and Russians actually share, uh, paleo history together. That we're all Slavic peoples all the way down to Serbia, the Czechs, the Slovaks, the Ukrainians, um, Croatians, um, Slovenes, all one great mega tribe at one point in history. Um, civilization came very late and through Christianity. So it was only between the 9th and the 12th centuries that Northwest, Northeastern Europe, Poland, Ukraine, Russia, uh, Christianized. And with it, adopted things like writing, which uh, Slavic languages before missionary work to transliterate the Bible. these were not literate cultures and societies. The region was broken up into a whole bunch of different um, uh, principalities and basically you know barbarian kingdoms, two coalesced early on. One, the kingdom of Poland, mm-hmm. and then uh, the Ukrainian um, principality. They, and that division was uh, gave a kind of political salience, an Eastern Slavic and a Western Slavic identity, but also uh, led to the religious schism among Slavic peoples because the Poles, adopted catholic christianity the ukrainians and later all of the eastern slavs following them adopted orthodoxy from constantinople with that came two different alphabets and from that moment on the relationship between those two communities was quite fraught i don't want i don't want to suggest that there's something primordial about uh, polish and russian uh, tension. But there is a very long history that um, primes the two groups to see each other with suspicion. the It was a bit of a seesaw between the Polish kingdom and first the uh, first the Grand Duchy of moscovy and later the the Russian Empire, with Ukraine as the battlefield between the two. And Ukrainians have a language that's similar enough to both Russian and Polish that you can communicate with some some difficulty. They're um, classical frontier people that could potentially um, lean either way, but prefer to be left alone by both uh, by both of the powers. And the um, Poland actually invade one of the uh, two only successful. Western invasions of Moscow came on from the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um it's the Russians still remember it and it's a big deal. But the two countries were at a kind of violent standstill until the 18th and 19th century when Poland faced terminal decline. Poland ended up being partitioned. At first it lost its Ukrainian territories and um some of its uh, baltic territories but ultimately even the core of the polish homeland was divided up between three powers prussia austria and russia russia got the largest territorial chunk and included the city of warsaw for a hundred years there was no poland and for about that period a little more than 100 years um the entire obsession of the Polish educated class, the Polish, uh, the kind of bearers of Polish national identity and consciousness, was regaining independence, regaining self determination, and resisting attempts to Russify Poles or Germanize Poles. And that was the official policy of both Prussia and Russia that these Polish people can be, they don't need to be fundamentally excluded, but If they are to be allowed to remain, then they will need to be culturally assimilated. In Prussia, they actually expelled recalcitrant, people who refused to Germanize, take German names from uh, their homes and reassign them to German settlers. In Russia, uh, in the Russian partition, there was just a, a very strong pressure against any expression of Polish identity. A number of illustrious Russian and Soviet um, figures actually are Russified poles. There's a um, Soviet general, one of the major um, one of the major figures of the um, of the uh, Russian Civil War. Uh, Konstantin Rokosowski, mm. whose family was um, originally Polish but Russified. Um, similarly, uh, Chelikovsky, the founder of Russian rocketry, also from a Russified Polish family. The that experience of Russian domination by Poles and Polish resistance to. Um, Russian political and national objectives, Mm -hmm. then patterns the conflict between Poland and the early USSR. So you have a very long history of rivalry between the two countries. And on the Polish side, it includes occupation, outright occupation. the Russians were less repressive than uh, the Prussians, but not as nice, not as tolerant as the Austrians. Mm. And there were a number of rebellions during the occupation that were put down fairly brutally with um, executions and mass deportations to Siberia. <clears throat> Indeed, Tadeusz um, Kościuszko the hero of the American War of Independence. Mm returned to Poland after the American Revolution was successful and started a Polish national liberation um, struggle, which lasted a couple of years, had some early successes, but was ultimately crushed by an alliance of the uh, partitioning powers. and he was um, sent into exile. <clears throat> I, I don't know if he ended up in Siberia or not, but and en- many illustrious figures, from out of Polish history ended up in um, the Russian Far East uh, as a result of political activities. The I think Joseph Conrad's family mm-hmm. um, were exiled to Vologda region uh, because of um, the national liberation, um, participation in some rebellion or some conspiracy or some movement. And this was extraordinarily commonplace. Um, my great-grandfather, he, uh, so my last name is Wrzeszniewski, which is not super common, mm-hmm. um, but a kind of recognizable Polish name. My grandfather, according to the family lore, we were actually originally aristocrats um, in central Poland. Mm-hmm. And due to participation in a national rebellion and uprising against the Tsar, my um, either great grandfather or great great grandfather was forced to give up his name and flee to eastern uh, Poland and, or the Ukraine, at, um, the city of Lwów which was also in the russian empire but where they weren't looking for him and rzeszniewski is actually the name that he assumed in hiding but it was never safe for him to come back so it just became his identity there's some there's some suggestions that this might be true you know we can trace him back to central poland but you never know with family lore The. Situation um, looked kind of hopeless until World War One, when all three of the partitioning powers collapsed simultaneously, and Poland was able to um, organize within that vacuum um, through the efforts of um, Józef Piłsudski, first and foremost, who established. <clears throat> a Polish legion, an armed force that was capable of securing territory and establishing authority over um, first the Polish homeland, and then they pushed into Ukraine and the Baltic uh, Baltic states. There had been enough pressure in Western capitals so that Polish independence was on the table. But it was Pisutski and his legions that gave shape to it on the ground and created what's called the Second Polish Republic um, out of the general Central European collapse of World War One, which then immediately led to the uh, Rus- uh, Soviet Polish War around yeah. 1919.
0: Which is, from the standpoint of uh, Soviet history, mm-hmm. which is... Um, often what I know better than Polish history, is kind of crucial when you combine it with the failure of the German revolution to take whole um, in 1918 um, and the SPD being divided amongst itself as well as um, the, the split between uh, the, Spart- the Spartacus Bunda and everyone else. Um, kind of leading to you know the establishment of a couple of uh, a couple of um, workers council states, which immediately collapsed and
1: Bela in Hungary, right? And then Bavaria, the Bavarian Soviet, as well,
0: right? Um, and this from you know from reading you know the state and revolution are basically both the communist and the socialist and you know this is after there is a that split um think that the the ussr to be able to properly launch its it's uh it's transition to socialism needs and even must have one of the um capitalist core countries switch sides and
1: you need that industrial base.
0: Right. And German and Germany is generally considered the most likely option since it doesn't have nearly as large an empire to sustain its bourgeoisie um, and between those two things together it falls apart. But most people focus on the German side of that. They don't really, you know, we we'll, we'll, you know, people talk about the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk as being a fundamental failure point, but I don't think they really think about what that means in terms of Poland and why in Poland in specific, there would have been, I mean, to set it up a little bit, it is, it, it is interesting that the claim being made in the Treaty of Brasmovich is, is that the USSR should basically hold the lands of the former Russian empire. There's a continuity there that two outsiders would be, um, Disturbing, I think, so um, well, the, would you like to go into that a little bit
1: <laughs> well, one of when this uh, when the Bolsheviks were backfooted mm-hmm. during the outbreak of the uh, Russian Civil War and when they were still attempting to consolidate power rather than expand it, there were three fateful promises made by lenin mm-hmm course land to the peasants and peace with Germany, but also freedom for the nationality. The um, promise made was that any of the national groups within the Russian Empire could, if they want to pursue an independent existence, pursue self determination outside of a political union with Moscow and this was eagerly picked up not just by poland but finland uh, the baltic states uh, even the states in the caucasus and there were ukrainian independence movements as well the russia has a strong cultural identity you know russophone orthodox um slavic but it Included millions of people who belonged to other groups, other linguistic groups, other religious traditions, other ethnic groups. And a lot of these had been conquered kingdoms. They weren't spread across the uh, length and breadth of the Russian Empire, but were concentrated into certain regions which had their own history as cohesive political units. Mm-hmm. Many of those groups aspired to reclaim self determination and independence none more so than the Poles. This was vital for um, the Bolsheviks for a couple of reasons. One was that they needed to neutralize the potential threat of the whites, the Mm counter-revolutionaries. And the atheism of the Soviet Union, to use a bit of anachronism, was pretty triggering to a lot of religious groups throughout the empire, um, especially right. when that religious cleavage coincided with a cultural and political cleavage as well. So the whites could have used traditionalism and God as a rallying cry for non-Russian people um, believers if Lenin had announced an intention to keep everyone within the borders of the former Russian empire together and under Bolshevik rule by force. And the fact that he offered an exit and out to groups like the Poles, like the Finns, like the Balts, meant that they were disinclined to uh, collaborate with the white counter-revolutionaries. Incidentally, the Western powers were trying as desperately as possible to broker that deal, to create a grand anti Bolshevik uh, alliance, mm-hmm. which would include um, Poland, include uh, minority nationalities, as well as the uh, czarist forces. <clears throat> but those minority groups m- would much rather have independence than a return to a, a godly but Russian czar. Mm -hmm. So that was an opening for um, Polish independence. And when the political situation shifted and it became strategically imperative for the Soviet Union to use Poland as a land bridge Mm -hmm. to connect to German industry and thus secure the industrial base necessary for transition to communism without brutal extraction or exploitation or you know coercive um, policies they it meant that you had to renege on your promise to respect Polish independence and push through um, militarily um, against now consolidated and entrenched poles to to create that land bridge Mm -hmm. the No one was particularly upset at the Bolsheviks because no one believed Lenin when he made that offer. It was convenient at the time, and it was useful for both the independence groups and the Bolsheviks. But the Soviet commitment to national independence was never taken at face value. It was always considered to be an expedient uh, prelude to open conflict. That came about in uh, 1919. Uh, To be fair, that was more the uh, metastasis of existing conflict rather than uh, some kind of full-on Russian sneak attack. Mm -hmm. Poland and Russia had both been uh, intervening heavily in Ukrainian affairs to try to stake out a sphere of influence. on Ukrainian territory, organize uh, Poland's goal was to organize a um, to either incorporate uh, Ukrainians as a constituent nationality of uh, a reunified, you know, re rejuvenated Polish uh, Republic. Nice. Um, the Polish Kingdom, the full title was the Commonwealth of Poland-Lithuania. So. Mm-hmm even Royal Poland was not an ethno state. It was considered to be a confederation of different peoples. And yeah, one model was to offer Ukrainians recognition for their language, for culture as a constituent group, um, and use that to carve the territories in another was to, if they w- weren't going to bite for that, let's create a Ukrainian state that is, um subordinate and friendly to poland to serve as a buffer to the soviet union from the polish side the apart from the religious threat that an atheistic government um posed for a deeply catholic population um there was a substantial jewish minority in poland at the time but the independence and sort of national Um, cultural wings tended to be very Catholic. Um, There was, apart from that, the perception of the Soviet Union was that this was just another Russian threat, that it was nothing personal, right? There's two significant Slavic powers in Eastern Europe, and they have to contend with one another. And if the Russians attack you, the Russians try to dominate Poland. Then, that's just the nature of the realpolitik of the region. And the Polish strategy was to attempt to broker an alliance with uh, other Central European uh, Middle States: Czechoslovakia, Hungary, the Baltic States, Ukraine, potentially, um, and create as much of a sphere of influence or buffer states between. Um, Poland and the USSR. In the end, um, there were early Soviet victories against Polish forces in Ukraine, which pushed the battle all the way to the gates of Warsaw. And it looked um, like there might be a decisive Soviet victory. Poles were outnumbered three to one. But the Polish um, military had cracked Russian codes and were able to intercept s- signals and plans from the Russian military and use that to organize an extraordinarily effective defense of Warsaw, which three Soviet armies were defeated in sequence. Mm. And Soviet forces were routed all the way to central Ukraine with a large chunk of um, territory, which is now Ukraine, and uh, now Ukrainian, being part of the Polish Second Republic indeed the parts of ukraine which are right now most associated with ukrainian identity both in the nice cultural way and also in the not so nice this is where the nazis come from way are the territories that were under polish administration between the wars Um, the rest of ukraine experienced very strict bolshevik nationalities policy which um, transferred populations and russified uh, cities like Kiev. while And the countryside around it um, were, remained heavily... Lwów was actually Polish, but the countryside was uh, very Ukrainian uh, by language, by culture, and very religious and traditional in its outlook.
0: Okay.
1: When the, the Soviets lose, they lose their shot at getting that Central European Industrial Base and it also sets the tone of um, suspicion and animosity between the Second Republic and the USSR. The remaining career of Yusef Piłsudski after um, winning the Soviet-Polish war was a failed attempt to create a coalition of, um, he called it, between seas, between the Baltic Sea and the Black Sea. He wanted to have a large NATO style block for mutual defense against both Germany and the USSR. But um, the diplomatic environment wasn't conducive. And you end up with um, a series of right wing military governments, Catholic right wing, so Franco Light, um, in Poland until the final collapse. Um, in 1939. Hmm. Now, <clears throat> the one thing there's this um, there's this mentality there's this um, image of Poland as being inherently reactionary. The that a lot of leftists have because of the animosity between Poland and the USSR, and also the general weakness of the left in poland Mm -hmm. and there's there are a few things to say about that one is that um the national liberation struggle in poland as much as in ireland or Mm -hmm. in colonial situations was the central focus point of political mobilization for that 100-plus years of partition. So left, right, capitalist, socialist, it didn't matter. What mattered was getting the Russians out, getting the Germans out, creating an independent The There were Marxist groups that um, were actually um, relatively well-organized, And, but they were apart from much of Polish society for a few reasons. One was the role of the Catholic Church. Um, Ethnic Poles are 90% plus Catholic. And the Catholic Church was one of the incubators of Polish culture through the uh, partition period. So the atheism of Marxism made it a really tough sell in Poland, mm-hmm. just like in Ireland, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, the second element was that um, the. So as a result, the constituency that was most amenable to Marxism was the secular urban working class and petit bourgeoisie,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which were actually disproportionately non-Polish. Um, Mm. I'm not saying majority non-Polish, but um, Poles in the countryside of central Poland were overwhelming. In the cities, there were substantial German populations and substantial Jewish populations. Mm. Um, The uh, both working class and sort of educated petit bourgeoisie. Uh, The communists did well in the cities and the Communist Party was non-sectarian. So you had atheist Catholic Poles and atheist Jewish Poles um, that were working together. But the party, because it drew from that pool, the party was disproportionately Jewish and German um, too, to a certain extent, Um, which then undermined, to a certain extent, together with its internationalism, undermined its ability to be a leader in, in Polish independence struggle.
0: Mm, I, yeah, and would also make the parts of the independence struggle that leaned a little bit more reactionary open to like the mm-hmm. propaganda that say the white, the right Russians were pushing. Um, the Russian, Russian right. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, and Jew, Jew the Communist.
0: international Jew, yeah. yeah, Judeo-Bolshevik conspiracy stuff would have been, yeah,
1: yes, I mean... absolutely. Uh, people were primed to primed to accept that because when you looked at the Communist Party, it was disproportionately Jewish, and you weren't looking for a sociological explanation when you had the conspiratorial one, uh, which played into your anti-Semitism to begin with, uh, readily available. Mm-hmm. The, so <clears throat> another take, another important um, consideration about Polish political culture is that the right is not capitalist. Yes. We we see this now with the Law and Justice Party, and we see that then um, with uh, the military regimes, and with Catholic fascism, you have a right wing which is, uh, which does not worship the market, which is suspicious of the market, as a matter of fact, because who does well in the market? You know, yeah. I'll give you a hint, they rhyme with news. And um, they instead want to use the state to organize an economy which respects things like work which provides for basic needs, which um, doesn't necessarily exalt um, the working class, but neither does it debase it and um, raise up capitalists instead. Um, So the religious right, um, the Polish right, isn't extractive and exploitative on economic matters necessarily. Which undercuts part of the appeal of Marxism because if you don't like the exploitation of the marketplace, if you don't like the capitalists calling the shots, well, there's a right wing alternative that you can join as well as uh, the classical forms of socialism. Mm-hmm. Indeed, um, the dominant train. The dominant strain in um, Polish political culture, right up until um, its defeat in World War II, was a kind of um, honor and glory militarized nationalism Mm. where the War of Independence was raised up as a sacred event and um, the and that nation was mobilized to protect and exalt Polish statehood, which Mm -hmm. created difficulties dealing with uh, the minority populations. Mm Kiuszki attempted to try to recast uh, Polish national identity in more civic historic grounds, Mm -hmm. but the lure of ethno-nationalism is extremely strong in Polish culture. because it's associated with that independent struggle. And there are alternatives to ethno-nationalism, but they tend to be civic and liberal rather than radical and socialist. Mm. The, um, so you end up with this watchful period uh, between 1919 and 1939, or Poland is attempting to shore up a defensive position, um, both against the Third Reich and against the Soviet Union. Frankly, no one no one had much hope, especially when um, it became clear that the diplomatic effort to create a grand coalition wasn't going anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, plans were put into place. Like, what does evacuation look like Mm -hmm. what what do we do in a worst case scenario the real death knell um poland for a time was hoping to diplomatically play the soviet union and third reich off against each other um hitler approached poland with a anti-soviet pact but it would require seating uh number of territories to uh Germany and nobody believed him.
0: Right. I mean his Liebenstrasse was basically yeah. to depopulate exactly. the Slavs from eastern from most of Eastern yeah. Europe anyway, on yeah. racial grounds, not just you know
1: anti-communist exactly grounds, So exactly that's um that's often lost because you know Polish people look like me. How could we possibly not be white enough?
0: Right. But I mean Although yeah, it's one of those things that even in the American mythology, uh, you know, about the Holocaust, and when I people think I when I say mythology about the Holocaust, that I'm like a denier. Obviously, I'm not. But they even miss it, like in Eli Eli Wiesel's book, like a fourth of the people in the book are Polish. They're, they're they're Polish war captives. So when when you think about Ironically, even though some of the same conspiracy theories and stuff would have been popular and arguably half of the German population is the same religion as as Poland. I mean, um, you know, the the German principalities were split, you know, Catholic, Protestant. And yeah, and the and the Prussian unification of Germany didn't fix that tension between the Catholics and the Protestants, um, but they were able, you know, Hitler was able to push it on racial grounds that so, so it's, it's interesting because you would expect like, um, and some of the other places in like in Romania where you had fascist guards who were more sympathetic to, to the Reich that the right in Poland actually didn't really have that option because they were, they they knew they were on the extermination block.
1: Absolutely. Um, Correct. And, um, the one of them if hitler had permitted polish national collaboration Mm. like offered the same deal forget norway no one's getting that right forget denmark no one's getting that but if he offered the same poland the same deal as the belgians got right or the bulgarians you know Mm. then there would have been no shortage of takers because there is a very strong appeal of violent ethno-nationalism within Polish culture. But the knowledge that German violent ethno-nationalism, Nazi violent ethno-nationalism was targeted against you, not just theoretically, but the name Poland was struck off of... um, every uh, map in the Reich the there was a literal plan for the extinction of the Polish nation and I don't mean the cultural extinction I mean the biological extinction he was gonna murder all of us um, that made that type of um, collaboration impossible mm-hmm. and it kept the hands of Polish nationalists relatively clean of Nazi taint. Um, I'm not saying that there weren't, there were pogroms, there was anti-Semitism, there were atrocities, but the collaboration is is difficult to demonstrate on any meaningful scale between Poles and the Third Reich, simply because um, the Third Reich wasn't interested. Um, It was probably a major tactical blunder on the part of Hitler, a major strategic blunder, but um, that's how it went. And um, when Hitler and Stalin signed the molotov ribbentrop agreement, it became clear that the Polish situation was hopeless
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that there would be a kind of um, demonic repartition between the Third Reich and the USSR, which is exactly what happens in 1939. Now, Hitler attacks. Um, declares war, makes it an overtly aggressive move, the entry of the Third Reich into into Poland. Mm. Soviet forces also enter Polish territory, but there is no declaration of war. There's no announcement, there's no engagement with Polish forces. The Russian uh, Soviet entry comes after Germany had defeated um, a number of, um, holdout positions in Western Poland, and it was clear that the war was um, was unsustainable. So the orders given to Polish troops were retreat. If you if you can't get out entirely, if you can't make it to Czechoslovakia, if you can't or Hungary, mm-hmm. if you can't make it to Hungary, if you can't make it uh, out by air or by sea, go into the Soviet zone and surrender because we're not at war with them. The, you'll be treated better. They didn't know what would happen. Um, and this was, this was the advice given in, under a condition of absolute desperation where mm-hmm. the alternative is almost certain death. But there was, was a secret provision in the Molotov ribbentrop agreement for the, Um, extermination of the Polish leadership class to be carried out by both parties, by the Third Reich and the USSR. This involved rounding up um, political leaders, leftist figures, uh, trade unionists, socialists, um, priests, actors, um, musicians, artists of all kinds, um, even athletes. Anyone that could serve as a potential locus for even small-scale national liberation organizing. Any anybody who could potentially run a resistance cell was to be rounded up and executed.
0: Right. And, and, and during that. yeah, I mean, in it is of no small import to note that um Poland loses independence in 1939 and the Polish-Soviet Republic is not established till 1950. Um I don't people can put one to one about why that may be the case and who may have died um but it, 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 there's 11 years of of even under you know of of classical Leninist national policy not even in theory being respected. Now some of that makes some of that could be justified under the conditions of the war until 1945 but it's really hard to justify after that um
1: so the, yeah and the uh Poland was um you know uh Joseph Stalin referred to Poland as pardon the expression a country um and he considered it to be uh fundamental uh, objective of Russian statecraft, of Soviet statecraft, to um, reincorporate Polish territory into um, a greater Soviet sphere. Uh, mm-hmm. He considered the the parts of Poland that were granted the Soviet Union uh, through the Molotov-Ribbentrop agreement just to be the first step. But there was no autonomy. There was no national autonomy or, or any kind of provision for... Recognition of Polish cultural nationhood or um, Polish, uh, any continuity of um, the Polish identity, and instead erasure. And the troops that surrendered to the Soviets, if you were a regular soldier, uh, if you were uh, an enlisted man, then you were treated as a prisoner of war Uh, you were sequestered but fed um housed officers however or anyone that was considered to be too educated or too politically engaged or from the wrong family was um rounded up tortured driven into the forest at night and shot in the back of the head um Katyn forest massacre is um the most well known but it's only one of the um liquidation um areas for the Polish leadership class on the part of the Soviet Union meanwhile in germany the third reich was doing the exact same thing um so
0: ironically please, though the, the this does i mean I know that we're supposed to believe that all the, you know, the the base of uh, the Soviets was good workers, but historically speaking, the class that they are eliminating had been the the people most sympathetic um, to to the USSR historically in a lot of ways. Like, so they're actually killing what would have been a left, what would have been a possible left base in Poland to make some kind of uh, deal with
1: the. They were liquidating, um, yeah, they were liquidating everybody. Uh, right. I mean, some of the people were fascists. Some of the people of course. were li- uh, liberals. Um, you but know, if
0: you're just saying get rid of the entire, anyone with, not just anyone who's formerly in the rulership class, okay, I can maybe understand that, yeah. but anyone with the education to be, mm-hmm. um, you're getting rid of you're not just getting rid of enemies. There's you're getting rid of a lot of people who are neutral or maybe would have been sympathetic after the kid, you know, yes. after the war is over.
1: And you are also getting rid of actual leftists. The right. um Stalin arranged for the elimination of the indigenous leadership of the Polish Communist Party. And the yeah.
0: Yeah, well, this will come up in the parrot room. Excuse me for there for a second. But he also did that for China, and Mao barely escaped being uh, shot at one of his visits to the common turn, because um, and we know that not from Western scholars, but from and not actually even from China, we know it from the Soviet archives. So it's so it wasn't like unique to Poland, and this is this is uh
1: it's, it's, As it's a side note, this is why Stalin.
0: Is, yeah, when 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 Stalin, when Stalin apologists talked to me about this, and I'm like, it wasn't even just the Bolshevik city cleared out. He cleared out the Communist Party of a lot of neighboring countries. Um,
1: and you know, the idea it, it is difficult to escape the conclusion that the goal of these purges um, wasn't the uh, to make. Eastern Europe or the USSR safe for communism, but to crush any um, centers of power, any rival um, forces, whether or not they're aligned ideologically, whether or not they would legitimately represent, say, a leftist tendency in Poland or China or elsewhere, Um, but to eliminate all of that so there was only Moscow center. And the war was brutal. Um, And much of World War II was uh, grinding in Poland in a way that is comparable only to China or um, the the Soviet Union. Mm. Uh, Something like 20% of the Polish population died, um, including most of Polish Jews who were killed in the final solution, but millions of... um, Polish Gentiles as well. Um, There were, at the end of the war, there were also purges of now fully occupied Poland. The um, individuals who were considered to be politically unreliable, including um, the leaders of the Polish national resistance to the Third Reich during the war, uh, Poland had an underground state uh, called the Armia Krajowa, the National Army, that mm. um, organized in, whole, entire institutions, uh, clandestine universities, clandestine schools, clandestine hospitals. Um, a Polish officer working with the Armia Krajowa um, was infiltrated Auschwitz as a prisoner and escaped, and he was the the individual that. Um, Brought the first inclusive proof of the final solution to Western attention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And these were legitimate heroes, legitimate war heroes, legitimate Nazi killers. Um, and the Soviet Union, through the NKVD and the Cheka, uh, I think it was the NKVD uh, at that time, uh, later the KGB, uh, persecuted and eliminated um, them. Soviet rule in Poland um, with that country having been bulldozed by uh, by the war and having Mm -hmm. a firsthand experience of both Russian and Soviet occupation. The Soviets never were under the illusion that they could rule legitimately, that there was an alternative to domination by force available to them in Poland.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: As a result, when the post-war settlement called for a kind of democratic um, solution to political, the political question of uh, post-war Poland, the Soviets um, developed a referendum which would pave the way for Communist Party, um, uh, a monopoly on power by the Communist Party. And as soon as they had the means to do so, they shut down um, presses, they shut down. um, There was a general political purge of the entire um, Polish order as well as the redistribution of property. Interestingly enough, Poland was the one country where agricultural land was not taken away from small peasants, uh, Hmm. small farmers. The reason being that, Um, Polish agriculture, especially the small farm production, was very productive and Polish, the Polish peasantry in the countryside, despite being very religious and um, parochial, Mm -hmm. they were amenable to communist rule as long as their land rights were respected.
0: This is the old Bakaran point that Bakaranar has made. If you respect the land rights of the small peasantry, even if it's only, like, even if it's not, de Yuri, as long as you de facto do it, um, they'll they stay aligned with the proletariat, um, and against both Stalin and Trotsky, uh, who insisted otherwise. And frankly, um, you know the the was post- right. Yeah, and the post Mao reforms, their initial success in, in agricultural production was was also based on similar, you know, things, and that's that's really ironic given that the Chinese Communist Party was majority peasant until like the sixties. So,
1: and but, the um, and the observation was that if in Poland you took the land away from the peasants, if you tried to collectivize agriculture, two things mm-hmm. would happen: one, you already have the intelligentsia, the military, the church, all aligned against you, all just waiting for an opportunity to um, resume the national independence struggle. You take the land from the peasants, you will, everyone will rise up because everyone's interests will be anti-Soviet. And two, and this was from um, the Central Planning Committee, Mm. if you collectivize agriculture in Poland. And we see the same kinds of collapse in productivity and yield that we've seen everywhere else we've uh, collectivized. The Eastern Bloc will starve. And that was-
0: Starvation starvation seems to narrow the mind on positive things.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So um, the um, entire post-war period, was understood as by Poles to be an extension of the Soviet occupation that had begun in 1939. Mm-hmm. Um, Poles mark World War II, uh, 1939 to 1989, because that's when the Soviet, last Soviet troops left Polish soil. Um, no, even among Polish workers, there was no real... The pro-Soviet position was, was rare. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even the Polish Communist Party uh, under leaders like Gomuka and Mm -hmm. uh, also um, under the Jaruzelski uh, who declared Mm -hmm. martial law against the solidarity movement, the very Polish communist leadership would not not just internally, but in communicating with Polish society, explain, look, I'm the guy that tries to keep the Soviets off your back. Like, if you think I'm tough, then you, you don't want to see who I deal with. So look, we we're all in the same boat. We have to do what they say. So let's figure out a way that this kills us the least. Um, There was a a policy document from the Red Army uh, produced in the 1980s that was declassified after the fall of the Soviet Union in which Mm. they estimated the percentage of the security forces of different Eastern Bloc Warsaw Pact allies that could be relied Mm. upon in case of war with NATO. Uh, The East German military and secret police were considered to be hundred percent reliable. This was post 68. So the Czechs were considered to be 60% reliable. 60% of the military would would fight for um, the People's Republic of Czechoslovakia and the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. The Polish, the estimate for Polish forces, the reliability of the Polish military was 0%. They, Simply you have to write them out of the picture if we're lucky they'll just desert, but they'll probably defect um, one of my grandfathers Mm -hmm. um, Considered it to be Uh, the who from whom I get the lore about, you know, being a gentleman in exile Mm -hmm. He was petty bourgeois uh, a lawyer very catholic He was part of the anti-Nazi resistance. He received a medal from the Polish government after the war. Um, He immediately became part of an anti-Soviet cell um, Mm. once the Soviet occupation had taken place. He could not believe that the United States would abandon Poland's Soviet domination. So he and his co-conspirators organized uh, government in waiting that would step up once Americans had begun the liberation war. Of course, they had been completely infiltrated, and he was arrested and sent to a camp.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, personally, I, I don't think the Soviet Union had any business being in Poland, but from the from uh, Marxist perspective from a pro-Soviet perspective, this was clearly subversion. You know, he, he did the crime. My other grandfather was, um, from the village background. Um, Mm -hmm. my mom pounces if anybody calls him a peasant, because technically his father, my great grandfather was a tradesman. He was a cobbler. Mm -hmm. but He lived in the village. He was poor. You couldn't tell the difference between him and the people who actually worked the land. He was educated because he had a, a gentle and progressive lord that owned the village, um, and children of talent, boys of talent, were um, given a high school education on the lord's dime, because he felt mm-hmm. like that was what he needed. That was part of his obligation to Poland. Of course, this meant going to a private school where all of your classmates are gentry and you're going to be brutally teased and hazed uh, and humiliated. So all of the scholarship boys either became priests or communists. He, uh, my grandfather became a school teacher. Uh, he taught in the Jewish ghetto in Krakow. Um, mm. He was uh, a leftist and he joined the communist party after the war, because he wanted to join in the effort to build a new or fairer Poland. When he saw the repression that went along with the imposition of um, communism, when he saw what happened to dissidents, what happened to people who just peacefully disagreed with the party line, he quit the party. He was warned that that itself was a punishable form of dissent but he was stubborn um and he was dying of tuberculosis anyway so rather than shoot him they just confined him to a um, hospital out in the country um, for a couple of years as he passed away but um, visits were closely monitored and all his mail was read to prevent him from um, being able to access the outside world. So both of my grandfathers, the anti-communist and the communists, were repressed by the Soviets. And if that's your experience with uh, Soviet Marxism, coming on the heels of your experience with Russian czarism, it's not surprising that Poland is a stumbling block for the Soviet Union and that Poland resists um, Marxist-Leninists organizing even um, more Euro-friendly center-left parties have difficulties um, in Poland. The two dominant strains, the two ideological strains that haven't been invalidated by 50 years of um, the People's Republic are ethno-fascism, Uh, Catholic ethno-fascism on the law and justice model or Mm -hmm. civic libertarianism, uh, pro-European civic libertarianism on the model of Platforma Obywatelska and Donald Tusk. That is likely going to be the showdown in the next election and that's the division. About 50% of Polish political culture is fascist and 50% is civil libertarian, which leaves how much for um, the left to build on? And,
0: and this is an interesting problem because you can say that, I think kind of directly you can say that between um, eradicating the the intellectual classes in the 40s and the peasantry being, you know, the peasantry are going to are being pushed out by modernity by whomever. Um, that uh, ironically, uh, and you know, it doesn't come up, but like the Soviets actually suppressed um knowledge of the Holocaust, which is weird, but, but partly because a lot of its leadership was Jewish in Poland, which is another thing that like, from the Western standpoint and our deals with like, you know, Zionist abuse of the legacy of the Holocaust, even we, we we're like, they did what? Huh? Wow. But it's, it's, it is very much the case actually. Um, so yeah. I, I, I do think this is part of why mm-hmm. anti-Semitism is so bad in Poland is, is a result of certain mm-hmm. decisions made in the fifties. And, Uh, The fact that petty bourgeois there, the the fact that there, there wasn't an, for lack of a better term, an indigenous bourgeois in Poland. Um, And, you know,
1: yeah. And and one, when, when the Soviets, when sort of the Soviet backed Polish communists, Mm -hmm. the ones that had been vetted and approved by the Soviet Union, considered Mm -hmm. reliable, they understood that nothing they could do would make them legitimate for uh, Polish society. And therefore they became extraordinarily cynical in the way that they tried to manufacture some level of acquiescence mm-hmm. and, um, implicate the rest of uh, Poland in their, um, political order. So, Perversely, you have a communist party that begins to play up anti-Semitism, begins to play up forms of Polish chauvinism because they don't have a constructive offer or any um, indigenous base that could make a more principled appeal. Um, So you end up with um, most surviving Polish Jews emigrating as a result of a culture of anti-Semitism that's fostered by the Communist Party. Um, Not to say that it wasn't abetted, it didn't come from other parts of Polish society as well, but anti-Semitism had been a serious uh, deviation, a serious anti-revolutionary crime during the early Bolshevik period.
0: And what and was, also after the fifties uh-huh. and it, it does it does go back and forth depending on the really yeah. like stuff around Israel, but yeah, like the multiple time periods in, in, in Soviet history, you can't be an anti-Semite, it's not cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. And in Poland, um, because of this sense that this is a deeply anti-communist society, a deeply reactionary society, that we need to somehow stay on top of. How can we pander to them? Let's be anti-Semitic. They'll like that. Um, the Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and the, the Poland also had um, an independent, well, an, a non-communist party that was part of the government, uh, which was uh, represented peasants' interests. And it's the only mm. party that actually survives to the present day through um, the communist period. And between, but the the essence of the political situation was this knowledge that you're an occupier in hostile territory, and you need to just get people to obey um, by whatever means it takes, because you're mm-hmm. not going, they don't trust you, they don't like you, they don't think you have their best interests at heart. So. Hello, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, sorry about that. My headphones just died, but um, that that might be a good sign that we should wrap up. Um, but yeah, the up until the Solidarity Movement, um, you had that, be the essential conundrum of uh, the Polish communists in power, how do you maintain authority in this place that would reject you in an instant if they could, which is what happens once Poland is given an alternative. Um, And to a certain extent, uh, uh, General Jaruzelski, who declared martial law and uh, led the anti-solidarity crackdowns, was tried for tried for his role in leading that repression after the end of communism. His defense was, I just did what I had to do. If it, Not for me, then it would be the Red Army, and it would be a lot worse. And he was acquitted on that basis. Um, the, the lack of legitimacy of the Polish People's Republic is, runs so deep that you can use it as an alibi. Um, in that kind of trial. And like I said, if this is the historical experience, it should come as no surprise that um, leftists struggle in Poland and that Poland and Russia, Poland and the Soviet Union um, have a fraught relationship. The Main reason why Poland is such an eager NATO ally, for instance, is because it remembers when the Soviets were there. Right? The NATO may seem like an imperialist adventure to Americans, but it is essential for national security if you're Poland. And dealing with that's going to take some time. Um... Mm hmm. The, I mean, we can talk more in the parrot hour about um, what ways forward might um, might be available, but um, for the time being, the it is remarkable that the Polish German relationship isn't as um, toxic. I'll take that, frankly. My my expectations are so low that if we can get along with the Germans, I'm like, that is so much more than I ever expected.
0: Uh, that's a sad note to end on, but that's where we're in, and we'll, we'll finish talking about Poland and maybe talk about misunderstandings of China and global geopolitics um, in the parent room. All right. See you there. See ya.